Welcome to The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. One of the most important lessons you could learn about getting in shape you would get from 90-year-olds who are in a mall. We're going to find out why that may be true and much, much more in today's episode of the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting with the feet first because those things are your foundation. We're going to break through the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies that people tell you about what it takes to run or walk or hike or play or lift or do CrossFit or yoga, whatever it is you like to do, and to do that enjoyably and efficiently. And did I mention enjoyably because that's the most important part if you're not having fun do something different till you are. I'm Stephen Sashin, your host of the Movement Movement Podcast. And before we jump in with today's guest, let me just remind you, if you uh, want to find out more about what we're doing, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You'll find previous episodes. You'll find all the different ways you can interact with us and get the podcast. You can leave comments, of course. If you have questions, drop an email to me at move at jointhemovementmovement.com. And of course, you can learn how to you know, like and share and give us a thumbs up or hit the bell button on YouTube, all those things you know how to do to spread the message because I like to say it's a movement movement. We're creating a movement about natural movement, trying to make help, help people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food is. And it's a movement. That means it involves you. So spread the word. If you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe and let's have some fun. So Courtney Conley, welcome. You are my guest of the Welcome. day. Welcome. Um, now, before we well, jump in and talk about, talk about what you know, people can learn from 90-year-olds in a mall, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> well, you, you mentioned having fun today, and I, it is my birthday today, and I was thinking to myself, you know, this would be fun. This would be a fun thing to do today. So thank you for having me on here. Well, here's a virtual candle, and you can blow it out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm a chiropractor. I... About 15 or so years ago, kind of started getting obsessed with the foot, and that's how all this started. I moved out to Colorado about 10 years ago and started uh, a couple of practices out here, and just like you said, we are in the business of natural movement and getting people to move um, as efficiently as possible, so that's kind of our goal out here. So I want to back up to your uh, getting in touch with the foot thing. So what happened? What you? What was going on? What led to the discovery you had and what did you discover? And then how did that change things? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Of all the, when we were in school, in chiropractic school in Chicago, I had one semester of foot biomechanics, like a half a semester. That's more than many. You and know I'm, that, right? Right. And I'm sitting there going, this doesn't seem right. But luckily, the uh, guy that taught the course was very, very smart and was very passionate about the foot itself. So he is actually, so my professor at school is Dr. Sean Allen, who's one of the gate guys. So I started going down that road. And then when I graduated, um, I was, I took a course um, that was taught by a podorthist about making orthotics. Right. And then um, well, we so ended wait, up actually getting so, married. So, well, <laughs> it's a great story. How, how how is that possible that you would get married to a to someone whose job was to make orthotics? That just see that's like well we're divorced now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me it was over the orthotics. <laughs> well, that was one of the one of the uh, issues, no doubt. <laughs> that's that boy. You know, that's sort of like it's the worst version of look who's coming to dinner. It's um, <laughs> it's a 
this is my fiance and uh, he makes orthotics. Right. Like, uh, Courtney, come on. Uh, but I'm telling you, it was crazy because when I moved out to Colorado, I was working and I worked in two different orthotic labs out here. Okay. So then, then clearly the transition from that to what you're doing now is not insignificant. So what was the wake up call? What was, what happened that made you go ooh and ah? Well, I'm seeing patients out here, right? So, I'm, and that was what we knew at the time, 10, you know, 15 years ago was if the foot hurts, brace it. Right. I mean, that's what we were taught. So, I mean, I had a grinder in my office. I was grinding orthotics, making posts. I mean, I was in it. And patients would be put in, get put in the orthotic. And about three months later, or however long it was, they'd come back with something wrong with their knee, or their hip, or their back. Their foot might have been, you know, better. But then there's something else would happen. Right. So we were chasing, I was chasing symptom around. Right. And then with my own personal experience, because I worked in a lab, I had every kind of orthotic. I was in every type of orthotic running in a Brooks. I think I started off the Cascadia's on the trail mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm getting hurt. Something's not right. So then I started diving deep into, let's see what happens when we pull patients out of these things. Well, I want to, and, wait, I want to pause right there because that's just a, that's the kind of counterintuitive thought for someone who had the background that you have that I'm really interested in. Like Irene Davis's version of this story was she suddenly realized that when people were coming into their clinic for every joint problem that anybody had, their goal was to get people moving as quickly as possible, as yeah. much as possible. But then it hit her, but wait, why are we doing the opposite for feet? So that was just a thought that kind of popped up and that led to it. Was there, I mean, that little leap that you just described is actually a giant cognitive leap. Do you have any more insight into that? You know, I'm obsessed with watching how people walk. Um, you know, it's a, it's an obsession of mine. And I always thought to myself, movement, especially gait, walking gait should be very fluid. It should be very efficient. And then I'm watching these patients in these orthotics with this aggressive footwear. And I'm going, on a very simple level, I'm like, this doesn't look right, right? right. Like, this doesn't look efficient, right? They're almost struggling in you know, you look at different views and it's, you know, you're walking on a cement block. There was no movement to the foot. So we were blocking lots of ranges of motion. And then they're coming back in and I'm seeing more losses of range of motion, right? So loss of range of motion of the first ray at the ankle, at the hip. And that's kind of why I was like, this isn't working. So we once you realize we, we that you were, once you realized you were going to have to leave your previous religion, what was that? experience life difficult yeah I imagine. people become like you know you put a patient in an orthotic for foot pain they're very scared to get rid of it because they think that this is you know what saves them but it's they you know now they're coming in with other symptoms so it, it was a lot of education it was a lot of a lot of education spending time speaking with them saying this is how the foot should function. And we're basically blocking it. Right. So, and we had to do it slowly. I mean, it was like, take it, take the orthotic out for one hour. See how you do. And you know, it, it wasn't a hard sell, right? Because it's like, okay, wow, my foot actually feels better when I'm not in all this stuff. Right. 
So then it was, okay, two hours. And then it was, now we're going to work on like foot exercises. And now we're going to do all these other things. And then before you know it, they're like, wow, not only does my foot not hurt anymore, but neither does my knee, my hip or my back. It's funny. We had a potential investor who I was having a meal with. And he said, I, I can't invest in your company because, I mean, I can't wear your shoes. I said, really, why is that? He goes, well, I've had plantar fasciitis for 20 years. I said, well, that's not possible. He's what? I said, you can't have an inflammation and itis for 20 years. That doesn't happen. Something else going on. He goes, well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned it. Um, it went away for about a year and a half. I went, okay, I know what happened. He goes, what? I said, here's what happened. 20 years ago, some idiot doctor told you plantar fasciitis and put you in an orthotic. What'd you pay for it? 500? He goes, oh no, 1500. I saw a really, really good guy. <laughs> best, best in the business. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So you had, you had a guy who ripped you off to the tune of $1,500. And uh, what was really going on, you didn't have plantar fasciitis. You probably had just tight calves that were pulling on your plantar fascia. And I say that because you can't have something, that kind of pain just disappear overnight unless it's something like, you know, tight calves that are pulling on it. And then it came back overnight. Same thing. That just doesn't happen like that. So, um, but you've been convinced. I said, how are you just walking barefoot? He goes, are you kidding? I can't walk barefoot. I have wood floors in my house. I went, oh my God. All right. I said, dude, I can give you some exercises to do. Where in, you know, maybe six weeks, eight weeks tops, you'll be able to walk barefoot in your house, won't be a problem. And if you want to keep going, and maybe like six months, I could have you running a 5K barefoot. And he looks at me like I'm crazy. And I said, dude, just because I look like this doesn't mean I'm wrong. <laughs> and, and, I, but he, no doubt. He, but he was, he was te- like you were saying, terrified and just wasn't even, I mean, literally never uh, does anything in his bare feet, which just blew me away. And I'm sure you were dealing with people who were like that. And to, 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 pun intended, walk them through this thought process to, to try something new. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like as a practitioner. Yeah. And, you know, I think rehabilitation has changed so much over the years. For some reason, it's been stalled at the foot. Yeah. But, you know, no longer, if, if, we ha- if we're treating a shoulder, we're no longer just looking at the shoulder. We're looking at all the different fascia and everything that relates to the shoulder. So the same goes down to the foot. I mean, the hip guides foot function so that's the educational component saying you know it's not just about this foot it's also the driver of the car right Right. like we got to get the driver back in the car so we can get the foot to be stable so okay so you started to make this transition tell me more about how well actually let's back up to to the teaser that we had of uh that people might be able to learn more about fitness from 80 from 90 year olds in a mall um, than anywhere else and if they haven't figured out why i say that it has to do with walking so um, you have, and since walking is your thing, um, what more can you tell people about the value and benefits of walking, whether they're barefoot in shoes and some minimalist shoe and sandals and stilts and, you know, pogo sticks, whatever else you can think of? I mean, I think it comes down to fascial efficiency, right? Can we take advantage of the free energy that's provided, right? So, and when I teach my courses, I always like give them the example of like, you know, if you, if you bend your middle finger back and you let it go, it just kind of pops up. You didn't have to like activate your finger flexors to lift your finger. If we get our ranges of motion into their full range, then that walking becomes very efficient. It's very spring-like. It's free kinetic energy, right? But if we're blocking these ranges of motion with heel or something that's preventing taking advantage of stretching the fascia and then allowing it to recoil, then walking becomes, it becomes an effort. And when I watch someone walk and it looks like 
you know, I almost want to be like, oh, it, it looks painful to me. Right. And it shouldn't be painful. Walking should be efficient. And frankly, we should be able to do it for very long periods of time. You know, it's funny. I, I was, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but the idea of, you know, doing it for a very long period of time, there's all the, if, if you present some idea of how people should be able to move, they'll often, and especially if you give them an example from some other culture, they have these very entertaining arguments. So like my favorite thing is I say, well, um, if we think about walking, we think about people in Africa typically who are walking for miles and miles and miles and miles to get food or to get to school, whatever it is, often barefoot. Um, if we think about running we, and we talk about the Tarahumara Indians in Mexico and how they run in super, well, in sandals for hundreds of miles at a time if they want to, um, up until their 70s, 80s, beyond, people will say, yeah, but that, they grew up that way. I can't do that. I go, okay, well, those shoes that you just bought, those big, thick padded shoes, why'd you buy those? Well, you know, that, uh, that Kenyan marathoner, I mean, he was wearing them and he set a personal best. So, I mean, they've got to do yeah. it. But wait, wait, you just said that you didn't grow up like the Taramara, so you can't do what they did. Well, guess what? You didn't grow up like that 105 pound Kenyan guy who runs at almost 13 miles an hour either. So why are you using the opposite logic in the same situation to, to talk yourself out of something possible and into something that's completely mm-hmm. irrelevant because you're not that guy and, uh, and people's brains explode. Yeah. Whenever I hear the, I can't do this because I've never done that before. I literally like give them my five minute spiel on neuroplasticity. Let me hear right? it. That Let's hear it. The brain can change. And that's my hope for all my patients that are in chronic pain for, you know, people who have suffered for very long periods of time is that the brain's plastic. So if we feed it novel stimulus, if we keep giving it new sensory information, then motor output changes. So it's never too late, never too, you know, you're not like so far down the road where you're just screwed, right? You're never screwed. You can always change movement patterns. It just takes repetition. Human brains love repetition. So we just have to feed. When when people are going through that learning process, that neuroplastic process, um, I have some thoughts about this, but I'm going to, I'll save them because I want to hear your answer. How do you how do you guide them or walk them through the challenges that occur during that process? You know, I I think people are afraid of pain. You know, and yeah. I tell them it's okay to be uncomfortable. You got to be a little uncomfortable to get comfortable. So you know, as we're walking them through this, I'm like, pay attention to how you feel during you take your orthotic out, right? Or you're walking barefoot then that evening, and then the next morning. And they're like, well, that was a little uncomfortable. I'm like, that's okay, right? It's a new thing for you, right? So pain is not a bad thing. It's giving us direction for change. So as long as we can take these patients, right, and guide them appropriately and educate them, saying that you're going to feel discomfort, you're going to be a little uncomfortable, then that's okay. You know, we're not supposed to walk around on pillows all the time. It's funny, if these people went to the gym, they would have no issue the next day if they were sore, they would frame that as a good thing. But when it has to do with feet, for whatever reason, you know, actually I have a theory about this that just popped into my head. So I'm pulling it, it popped into my head, which means I'm pulling it out of my butt, but let's go with it. Um, And that is, since we know feet have more nerve endings than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips, I think we're really wired to avoid pain in the feet because evolutionarily, it's telling us something bad is going on. You shouldn't be stepping in that, shouldn't be stepping on that. Something bad is nearby. And so maybe we're hypersensitive to that in a way 
that were not to something like, you know, my biceps are sore because I just did way too many curls. So that could be a part of it. The other, I mean, there's another thing that I always tell people. It's like when you're learning a new movement pattern, the frustration or what we call the frustration that you feel is just your brain laying down new neural pathways, trying to break out of an old one. And so it's not a bad thing. But the other part is that you only learn, you only lay down those new neural pathways after you give yourself a bout of uncomfortableness, of uncoordinatedness, yeah. of confusion, and then it rearranges. And the next time you try it, a couple of days later, maybe you're suddenly better, even though you didn't practice. I mean, that should make people just like bow down yeah. with amazement, but instead they just forget and just go, oh yeah, I guess I got a little better somehow. It's like, no, no, that how is the incredible part. You did something for 20 minutes that you felt was, you know, you were, you couldn't do. And then two days later, you're better at it. What? That's amazing. I know. And it's so awesome, right? Because I'm a constantly like, I had a patient today, right? He's like, my feet get sore at night. So I take his shoes off. He's in like, you know, I don't know what kind of shoes in, but it was like suffocating his foot. Right. And I'm like, I just want you to lift your big toe. And he looks at me, he's like, we, I shouldn't be able to do that. Literally could not lift just his like right big toe. Right. And I was like, if I said to you lift your right thumb, right. And you couldn't do that. You'd freak out. Right. But down at the foot for some reason, right. Like, so when I, and you know, and it happens all the time. And then when these patients come back, they're so excited. They're like, guess what I can do? I can lift my big toe. And I have to pump them up about it because, yeah, you know, yeah. if I don't get excited about them lifting their big toe, then they're not going to get it. So I'm like, holy shit, I mean, this is awesome. You're, you know? You're, you're being their mommy. <laughs> it's, it's like, he just, he just said something. He just moved something. He just did something. Like, you know, yeah. no child has ever done that before. I mean, the parents react that way. But yeah, you've got to, you've got to do that. I mean, and, and so it, it really is amazing. Just my favorite thing is when people take off their shoes and just, start walking around and feel things in a way that's pleasant, but still stimulating. They get so excited. And it's like, yeah, that's what your brain is wired for is to get that information. And when yeah. it feels good to let you know, keep doing that. You know, it's, uh, and I'm, I'm always stunned for the people who haven't had that experience and love it watching when they do. You know, I was reading a paper about this school, this preschool in the Netherlands, mm. and they have all these kids outside and they had little like, you know, different materials where the kids were like playing on like one of them was grass and one was sand and they all had their shoes off and they're interacting with their environment right they're outside and that is you know I have a nine-year-old and I, I so wish that we could start to ingrain this type of work with it with the kids because if we can get them started so young so many problems would be avoided I have a theory that to graduate high school, everyone needs to be, do a, be able to do a cartwheel. It's like, you've got to learn. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've got to learn to do. I mean, if you don't, haven't used this thing, I mean, I'm a former All-American gymnast. And so every now and then I have to do a handstand. I just feel the urge. I've got to be upside down. And it's yeah. really helpful. Most people have no idea why that is or what that would be. That's like a normal thing. I mean, you watch kids, they'll hang upside down from monkey bars. And you know, then we somehow lose that and forget how good it can feel to do all these, you know, unusual movements and feel all these different things. Yeah. I mean, movement variability is what, you know, I, we're, we're, uh, our brains are the biggest as a species, not because we're the smartest, frankly, it's because we have the most movement variability. We can push, pull, mm -hmm. jump, run, you know, and when you start taking away these different movement patterns, you know, neurologically, I think we get a, we get a loss. I, I think you're so totally right. To be able to do all that stuff. 
Well, you know, even, I mean, back to the whole neuroplasticity and, and just feeling things, um, the, there's a book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And a guy named uh, Dr. Mike Merzenich talks about brain rewiring and, and brain de-differentiating. So, you know, we know that different parts of your brain are wired to do different things. If you don't let them do those different things, those brain sections basically kind of, they don't physically fuse, but they may as well be. So like, you know, you tape your first two fingers together and after a little while, according to your brain, you've only got one finger there. And so, but if you untape it and just give yourself the right stimulation, your brain's like, oh, thank God, that's what I'm wired for is to do them separately. And I think you're right that there's a lot of movement patterns that we're built for that we, for whatever reason, don't have the opportunity to do, or there's no social mm, support or, you know, other people aren't doing it. I think about this every night. Um, at the end, after we, Lane and I are done working, we go home, I make some dinner um, or buy some dinner, but I've been making more lately thanks to COVID. And then we'll often go upstairs and turn on the TV and I sit on the floor a lot. And almost every time that I do it, I think growing up, I never saw anyone do this. There was a, we talk about this in our, one of our courses too. There was a Brazilian research study right? That looked at, I think it was ages like 51 to 80, right? And you got five points for sitting down on the floor and then another five points standing back up, right? So I think there were like 2000 people that like went through this study and you lost a point if you had to like touch a chair to get on the floor. And the people with the lowest test scores ended up dying earlier, right? So it was basically a research study saying, that movement predicts longevity. I think that's, it's a good, you know, to be able to stand up and sit on the floor takes ankle mobility, hip mobility, core, core stability. And by core, I mean head to toe, right? Like you got to have control. And a lot of people can't do that. They can't, they, why would they sit on the floor? Because they can't, right? There's, there's another, another study that came from someone at, at uh, Duke cor- that had a correlation between elderly people and the speed that they walked and mortality. And I wish I could remember the number, but it was something like if their natural walking speed was under two miles an hour, they had a very high uh, um, chance of dying within five years. I mean, I'm not getting the numbers right, yeah. but that's the gist of it. And, um, and whenever I see people who are walking in super slow motion, uh, oh man, it just terrifies me. And of course, I don't want to tell them, hey, you're going to die soon because they don't like that apparently. Yeah, right. And that's one of the, it brings up such a good point because that's one of the cues, like one of the easiest gate cues I'll give my patients is to take a metronome and they're going to listen to the metronome so that they can pick up their pace. You want about a hundred and say 120 steps per minute, right? And the patients who are in pain will walk slower. And we know that most symptoms happen in stance phase, right? Or in the Mm -hmm. closed chain, right? So why would I want to spend more contact time here? So just by picking up the pace, right, you're going to move through the gate cycle a little quicker. You're mm-hmm. not going to spend as much time in a phase where you're going to feel, you know, feel pain, if you will. But right. that metronome is great. I'll have them like for five minutes. I want every Solid. step you're going to listen to it. And then it speeds them up a little bit. And wow. then all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, my back doesn't hurt. I'm like, yeah, because you're not putting so much force on it. Doesn't just, ha- yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be difficult. I think the easier we can simplify this for people, the better outcomes we're going to get. I want, I want to ask you something, um, you, talking about the whole idea of, of the, I don't remember how, what the phrase you used about using the fascial system and, and the free energy that we get from that. Um, one of the things that I've marveled at lately 
is, of course, when you have a higher-heeled shoe, you're not letting your Achilles work properly and be the spring that it's, or shock absorber that it's designed to be. I've been noticing a bunch of runners on the track lately who are midfoot or forefoot runners, and they're still wearing big, high-heeled padded shoes. And so they're not, it's not letting them use their Achilles at all. And I keep thinking, and every now and then I see one who doesn't even touch his heel. And I'm going, why are you even bothering to wear that shoe? Because it's just, it's, it's not letting you do anything natural. And you're not even doing, you're not even using that shoe for the reason it's used, which is basically to try and support, you know, being an overstriding heel striking person. So it's, the whole thing is very interesting that they're still buying shoes that don't let them let their body do what it's supposed to, even if they're already not letting or what if, even if they're already doing the right thing, but now they're getting something that's getting in the way of doing the right thing. Can you say anything about Achilles-y stuff? And I'm going to do two questions at once because they're in my head. And if I don't say it, I'll forget. And also you talked about moving up the chain. Can you talk about your experience with just the relationship between glutes and walking well? So, you know, people always want to, if they have any type of foot pain, they want to put all this cushion underneath your foot, right? And I always tell them the calcaneal fat pad, the best cushion you could get. It dissipates like, I think the numbers are like 17 to 19% of force when you hit the actual fat pad on your heel. So, you know, it is true. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. So when you take a heel to toe drop shoe, right, and you shorten the posterior compartment, you're altering the mechanics. Right. So with our runners, you know, if you want a heel strike, midfoot strike, forefoot strike, all you're doing is changing force, right? Right. So if I'm a midfoot or forefoot striker, you're going to put more load through the plantar fascia and through the calf. If you're a heel striker, you put more load through the knee and through the, because there's more ground reaction force, right? Right. So more importantly with these guys, it's not necessarily how the foot is striking, but where the foot is striking. Yep. So we want that foot to be as close to the center of mass as possible, right? If you have a big old cushion underneath the heel, these guys that are saying that they're midfoot and forefoot strikers, I can probably guarantee you that towards the end of their run, if you were to video them, they will transition into a heel strike because they can't feel it, right? You have this, there's a reason why you got all that cushion there. Because when you heel strike, you can't feel it. And if you don't have that cushion there, you're not going to feel it. You're going to keep the foot closer to your center of mass, and then you become efficient there. I mean, that's such a good point about people. All my runners get so excited about foot strike Mm -hmm. instead of kind of where the foot is striking. Oh, I'll never forget. This was maybe eight or nine years ago, like soon after we started Zero Shoes. And Lane and I had a, uh, a tent up at the Boulder Creek Fest. And we, at that time, all we had was our do-it-yourself kit. So we, I made a pair of sandals for somebody and we went for a little run. And so we're running next to each other. And she did something that I never thought to do in a million years, never saw anyone do before and never occurred to me. So she's overstriding. She's reaching her foot way out in front of her and then just pointing her toes, plantar flexing. So she's basically kind of prancing as she ran. And for like three strides, I went, what are you doing? She says, well, I heard you're supposed to land on your forefoot. I said, yeah, not like that. It's supposed to happen naturally because you're putting your foot underneath you. And I mean, I, it literally, it had never occurred to me that somebody would take that idea and do that. Sort of like back talking about Dr. Irene Davis again, she was telling me how she did an experiment with people where she put them on a force plate treadmill and said, I just want you to run and I want you to keep the amount of force that you're using when you hit the ground 
below this line that's basically on a computer screen in front of them. And I said, let me guess what happened. She goes, what? I said, they started running like Groucho Marx walking fast. She goes, yeah, that's exactly what they did. How'd you know? I said, because I've seen it so many times. People, you know, you can reduce the amount of force by doing crazy weird things that no runner would ever think of because it works. And it's more natural to like keep putting your foot way in front of you and then point your toes and kind of just try to catch the ground like Groucho Marx than it is to make a bigger alteration of your gait. And I, you know, there's ways around that by giving other information, but it's incredible what people will think of that they think works. I mean, I've seen people who call themselves accomplished barefoot runners who run half marathons looking like Groucho Marx and they're able to do it. They're able to successfully complete 13.1 miles, but they're not doing anything called running. Yeah. By the way, when you point that out to them, they, they don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I videotape people run their running gates all day long, right? Yeah. Myself included in this, right? And you think you look a certain way when you're running and then you watch yourself, you're like, oh, yeah. That's, that's why a friend of mine has a lot. He says, we don't, we, not as graceful as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine has a lot. He says, we'll never allow human cloning because the last thing you want to be doing is walking down the street and going, who's the idiot and the fat ass on those white shorts? Ah, that's me. Oh, man. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, we have, well, you know, that's another part that's intriguing. And I'm curious what, what your experience is working with clients this way. I found that a lot of people have, not a lot, some percentage of people have, let's call it bad proprioceptive skills at first. You ask them to put their arm parallel to the ground and they look like they're either, you know, white nationalists or pointing to someone's toes. You know, it's like, and I remember being an, a young gymnast and part of the compulsory Florex routine was you had to just put your arms parallel to the ground before you did this move. And we, had, we spent weeks learning what parallel felt like. I've had people say to me, you know, there's something wrong with your shoes because the rubber on the heel is wearing out. I go, well, you're overstriding and heel striking. They go, well, I don't, I don't do that. I go, well, it's just friction. I mean, you know, that's the only way things wear out is excessive horizontal force creates friction. So send me a video and they'll send me a video where I see them overstriding and heel striking and I'll have them watch the video with me. And I've literally had a half a dozen people say, first of all, take 20 minutes till they can see that they're overstriding and heel striking. I mean, I'm drawing lines on the screen and everything. And then yeah. they, they, I had a half a dozen people say to me, yeah, but I don't do that. <laughs> this is a video of you that you made sent by you. It, it's you. So what have you noticed when people are making this transition and just, you know, whatever other kind of cues you have to give them to help them kind of recognize what they may have been doing and learn properly what you want them doing instead? Yeah, I mean... I always say, like, I'll literally draw this pyramid for them. And at the top of the pyramid is subconscious dysfunction, right? So people don't know how they're moving, right? And I always say compensation is a good thing until it no longer is, right? So (laughs) the next phase of, of the pyramid is conscious dysfunction. So people need to become aware of their dysfunctional, you know, movement patterns if, in fact, they are having a role in their symptom, for example. I mean, I don't think, you know, we're all not going to walk the same and do all the same things. And, right. But from a biomechanic stand, if it is something that is correlating to their symptom, then they need to be aware of that, right? The next stage of that pyramid is conscious function. So that's when we start giving them cues. Simple things like, you know, 
out in Colorado, if it's arm swing, for example, and not, like I just had the patient this morning where she was literally, and this was a, she was a um, Olympic athlete from, I forget, but so she literally wasn't swinging her left arm, right? So it looked like mm-hmm. she was like, you know, running like, you know, yeah, like yeah. zero arm swing on the left. Yeah. Once we improve the lower extremity mechanics, right? Usually show the upper extremity will kind of follow suit, but something easy outside. I'm like, you know, go outside. We live in Colorado. Take your ski poles and just start to facilitate some of this. But, you know, I can't do that to my people in Florida, right? But bringing awareness to their patterns, right, brings them into conscious function. And that's when symptoms start to go away, right? But the idea is for her not to walk around with ski poles all the time. Right. So the last, you know, layer of this is subconscious function. They've retrained the pattern so many times, fed it so much repetition that now she can improve her movement pattern. Her pain's going away and she's not coming in my office for some other issue. You'll, I think, get a kick out of knowing that my undergraduate research as a cognitive psychology person was cognitive aspects of motor skill acquisition. And I came up with a whole map for how that process happens. But I want to back up to, to step two in the pyramid, the subconscious, de, um, what was, was decompensation? What was the phrase you used? So subconscious dysfunction, dysfunction and then it goes to conscious dysfunction. So they're you, all, they start to become aware of what they're doing. Yeah, I want to back up to before that one. Well, actually, to becoming aware of what they're doing. What do you do to help people bring to awareness these non-conscious dysfunctional patterns, if anything? Or do you just move to the next phase? A lot of it, a lot of it is visual, right? So I'll have them, we'll record things, right? So that they can start to see how they're moving. I have a bunch of like mirrors in my office where like, you know, once you bring it to their awareness, they're like, oh yeah, that is how I am only loading, you know, my right foot. That's such a good, I always ask my patients, one of the first questions I'll ask them when they're standing in front of me is where do you feel load on your feet? Mm. Barefoot, right? Because we should feel pretty centered. Like that foot should be the most stable thing we're standing on, right? Like the, there should be nice forefoot splay. The foot should be solid. And then I don't think most people have ever thought about where they feel tension when they're standing. And then they will literally tell you what is wrong. I always say, listen to your patient. They'll tell you what's wrong. If you listen to them long enough, they'll tell you how to fix them. Because, <laughs> nice. you know, They'll be like, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm loading my big toe on my left side more. And I'll be like, where's all your pain? Oh, my big toe on my left side. But the, the connection, right? So now it's like little things like that. It's, it's simple awareness, right? Yeah. So then we'll just work on drills to have them change their load so that they can start to feel different parts of their foot and change that. Have you ever done something I love to do with people in that situation is have them exaggerate the dysfunctional pattern? Oh, right. Yeah. It's Absolutely. Like, yeah. Do more of that thing that feels wrong. Cause otherwise you don't know what, like if you just tell someone to land with their foot closer to their center of mass, like more underneath their body, they'll often do what they think is that. And it's going to like barely anything because they're just so used to what they've been doing. So I'll, I'll have, have them like way overstride. I mean, make it crazy big or whatever the thing is, just so that they go, oh, or even on the, on, on the, the functional side, I've often, I've done this, I haven't done this with anyone in a while. I'll have them lean into my hands. So I'll put my hands on their shoulders and lean into me so they're like at a 45 degree angle. And I go, all right, now I'm going to run backwards and you run towards me and I want you to stay at this angle. I want you to look like Fred Flintstone trying to start running where your feet are just like spinning behind you. 
and I'll make right, sure you don't right. fall on your face. And then, you know, and then they get used to that feeling that's the exaggerated version. Their feet are behind them. And then I'll take my hands off and they kind of come back to normal. So I'm, I, I've become a really big fan of exaggerating both the, quote, the negative side and the positive side, just to, to give people that, like we were talking about before, that breadth, that range of experience that they didn't have that lets them start to find a middle ground. Absolutely. It's like you get, when you get caught smoking, your parents make you smoke a pack of cigarettes in like one sitting. You're like, I'm never doing that again. So uh, did you get caught smoking if that would happen? I was a little bit of a wild child, but you know, <laughs> we learned, we learned some lessons, you know? Yeah. I but know yeah, that. I mean, you, you have somebody balance, right? I mean, even single leg balance. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's amazing to me how many patients, right? We should be able to balance easily open, you know, we use the vestibular system, visual, right? Proprioception, yeah. 60 seconds, no problem, right? But you have a patient who's loading their first ray more and you have them balance and they literally like tip over. Yeah, you know? so just having them feel all this, right? The, and the, exaggerating those postures. One of the things that I think about a lot is that when things change slowly, we just don't notice them. And this is the fundamental problem. One of the fundamental problems I see with big padded shoes is the padding starts to wear out the moment you start to wear them. And usually, you know, twice as fast as the shoe company will tell you that they do. But it happens slowly enough that we just don't notice that suddenly, not suddenly, we just don't know, we never notice many people that they're, well, my favorite example, I was at the airport, there's a guy in front of me whose his shoes are like, the insides are totally worn out. He's walking so pronated, his ankles are practically touching the ground. And just because he's worn out the shoes. And so I pull up my phone and I start videotaping this. I posted, this says a lot about social media. I posted it on Facebook and on Instagram. On Facebook, everyone's going, oh my God, I can't believe you know he's wearing those shoes. It's causing all those structural problems. He hasn't noticed it. Got to get him out of the shoes and into something where he can align his body properly. And on Instagram, the comments were, I can't believe you're, you're body shaming somebody. It's like, body shaming? <laughs> I'm, first of all, I only had the video from the guy's knees down. You don't know what his body looked like. Secondly, I'm shoe shaming. So, uh, that was the- Well, one of the things like I'll have patients do... Because the more cushion in the shoe, right, they're going to wear it out. So yeah. if you take a pen, right, and you drop it in the center of the heel counter, right? Yeah. Like, it's the easiest thing. You know, and patients aren't aware of this, right? They'll be like, oh, this shoe is, feels fine. And I'll put it in the heel counter, and then the thing will be like like this. And I'm like, right. you see what's, ha- what's happened here? Right. So it's a, I'm like, I want you to go home, take a pen, and every single shoe, put it in the back of your heel counter and on a shoe that allows your foot to feel the ground, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. You don't get that big angle. Yeah. Well, you know, and and look, you and I, and a number of other of our friends, we're all battling 50 years of propaganda and mythology and people thinking that that's just the way it is. You know, they didn't have an alternate experience other than remembering when they were kids running around barefoot or if they do it now, every now and then, you know, I like running on the beach barefoot. Well, great. You can have that same feeling whenever you want. It's not limited to being on the beach. And it's also funny, like, I don't know if you've had this. I spend a lot of time walking around barefoot here in Colorado through the winter even. And I walked into Costco once a little while ago and they stopped me and said, is everything okay? I said, yeah, why? They said, uh, you're wearing shoes. <laughs> I said, oh yeah, <laughs> that's what I do for a living. But, uh, but what's, what's so funny is, People think it's totally crazy here, but it's not totally crazy if you're doing it at the beach. So there's this funny kind of thing where just in or out of context, people will frame it totally differently. 
And sometimes I'll say that they'll say, you know what, my favorite actually. So every Friday night I go and pick up pizza for me and Lena. And back in the days when there were lines where people actually went into the store, right. every now and then there'd be some kids, like little kids, like four or five years old. And they'd see me and they say, mommy, he's not wearing shoes. Why is he not wearing shoes? And the smart parents would say, ask him. And I would, and they'd ask me why I'm not wearing shoes. And I said, well, do you like when you're not wearing shoes? They say, yeah. I go, me too. And they go, oh. <laughs> Easy enough. That's what I'm saying. Keep it simple. Yeah. Do you like, have you ever been to the beach? Yeah. Do you wear shoes at the beach? No. It's just like being at the beach, but the sand's a little harder. Oh. (laughs) I mean, any kid, you watch any kid in the world, the first thing they do is take their shoes off because their little brains are going, let me feel, right? Oh my God. Yesterday. So we've been having socially distant picnic brunches on Sunday. So we go to a park, everyone brings a little picnic. And yesterday, someone. It was great. Someone came yesterday who was visiting and he's basically kept his kid either barefoot or in minimalist shoes his whole life. And this kid's about eight or nine, I think now. And he went to play with some other kids. They had bikes and he didn't have a bike. So he was just running with them. This cat had impeccable form. It was perfect. It was beautiful. And just because he'd never been in real shoes. It was awesome. I mean, that's that's why I'm just so passionate about educating on because the sooner we start with this, the sooner that we can get the word out about this and we can get the kids in, you know, allowing their foot to function, yeah. the amount of problems are going to be, oh, it's going to be a I'll, massive piece. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I'll bring up Irene for the third and umpteenth time. Her line is, if we got kids just wearing minimalist footwear, truly minimalist footwear, in 20 years, we wouldn't be treating adults for the billions of dollars of problems they currently have. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. In fact, we were at the International Footwear and Ankle Biomechanics Symposium, and she said, "If we got kids just wearing these shoes in twenty years, this event would not be happening because there just wouldn't be enough demand." It's totally true. I mean, this is why it's such an interesting thing. the The challenge, of course, is that it's hard to get a five year old to talk their parents into buying minimalist footwear for them. We have to start on the high end. And get them hip to it and you know, get the parents hip to it and then have them realize what they're doing to their children or what they can do to help their children. It's, we've, got, you know, we've got our work cut out for us. But I mean, the good news, and I'm sure you've experienced this, and I'm, I'd love to hear you say more, is that once people get hip to this, once people start having this experience, it's so life-changing that I mean, you know, they, of course, become boorish at parties because they want to tell everybody and people get tired of hearing it. But it's such a big deal and it's such a palpable experience, you, you can't go back. I mean, it's... It, yeah, I see it every day in my office, every yeah. day in my office, which is why like, I, I'm so grateful to do what I do because when patients come in and they, their lives literally change because yeah. they've been in pain or they're chasing symptom around. And it's so amazing to see when they can start enjoying themselves because they're not you know, running around in pain. It's always amazing to me because, you know, when we, we transition them into footwear, right, that allows the foot to function like it should, always, we always say the same thing. Feels a little big, but it feels really comfortable, right? And it's like, well, it, you know, just wait a little bit. And then all every time they come back, like, I can't wear my other shoes. I'm like, yeah. I know. You know, it's one of the things we've been hearing during COVID. And I think one of the reasons that we're getting more attention is people are spending more time in their house and often taking off their yeah. shoes and their feet are changing. And then they go to put on their shoes to go out to the first time. And, you know, a couple of months it's like, these things don't fit anymore. I got to go find a wider shoe all of a sudden. 
which is awesome. It's there have been some definite uh, benefits of COVID, and I have to agree with you on that one. That that is one of because so many of my patients are like I've been barefoot so much more, everything feels yeah. good. I'm like, oh. yeah, no, it's it's great. We're I'm really curious to see how that continues to play out. So I'm, I'm going to talk or let you talk more about just sort of what you do beyond just seeing individual patients. But before we jump into that, if you had to give someone who I don't know if they had, you know, if they had some specific symptom or not, but if, if you you meet somebody at a party and they ask you what you do, and rather than explaining what you do, if you wanted to give them the world's simplest experience, what would you do? I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot when I say that, because it just popped into my head as a intriguing thing to ask. I think the easiest way is get people to move better. And so you what know, would you have? Be a, consistent and get. So get like you so I'm going to give you two examples. So one is, you know, somebody's you're at a party if you remember what parties are. And so someone, asked, I dream about them. Yeah. I've, I've heard, <laughs> I had someone call me today and I said, look, I've got a meeting that I'm going into in a bit. He goes, my apologies. I just haven't talked to a human being in so long that I know I'm being a little long winded. I said, and we, and we're getting that a lot yeah. too. People are just desperate for, for contact. But so, all right, you're at, you're at one of these parties that we all remember. Someone asks you what you do. You say, all right, look, rather than telling you, I want you just to try doing this. Can you think of a this that you would let them do or have them do? You know, it's funny because if you talk to all my friends, if you when we, there were parties, I would always be on the floor because by the end of the party, I'm like on the floor, on my stomach, like holding someone's foot, you know, <laughs> they're like, oh, there's Courtney again, she's on the floor. But, you know, little things, right? Like people, sh- in, when we teach the classes, right? Like if you were to take your shoe off, you should be able to lift your big toe, lift your four toes lift all your toes and spread them and reach them forward. You should technically be able to do with your feet, what we do with our hands. And I, you know, that's a good party trick, right? Everybody takes their shoes off and just try to like lift your big toe. And, you know, you'll see everybody's brains going, right? Like their fingers will start to move and, you know, and (laughs) they're like, I'm trying to lift my big toe. But if, if you can't do like those types of basic foot awareness drills, then you got to start saying, well, I wonder how I'm interacting with my environment. If there's this much of a disconnect between what my brain is telling my foot to do. Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm glad you, you qualified that you weren't lying on the floor because back to your wild child days and you were just drunk on the floor because that, that's that's not helpful. I mean, it could be. Rewind that way. Yeah. Yeah. It might've been helpful, just not entertaining or entertaining, just not helpful. And so, all right. So let's say, all right, you're not at a party, you're not on the floor and you're having the same conversation with someone on the phone. It's the same thing. It's like, can you move your feet? It's a, it's a good one. It's funny. I mean, back in the early days uh, when the barefoot thing was starting to take off 2009, 2010, people were doing, there was a lot of questions like, you know, what do I need to do in order to do this? And people were coming up with exercises or tests or drills. Like you need to be able to do this before you can run barefoot. Now I've got a spinal problem and I couldn't do any of those things, but I was able to run successfully without a problem. So I think there, there's an interesting, what's the word, uh, kind of a Venn diagram of things that you, sh- you want to be able to do, ideally that you should be able to do versus having people think that there's something they need to do before they can start making this move into natural movement. And I haven't really thought much about the difference there or how to snap people out of that it's it's so interesting to me that people think that they need to practice something or master something before they do something so natural. It's just like take off your shoes and go for a walk. Yeah. And that's, 
in keeping it that simple, right? It really is that easy, right? I, I thought of the exercise to do because it accomplishes two goals with one motion. Although people could do it on their own, but it'd be more fun to do it with them. And I would say, why don't you come with me and let's go grocery shopping? Because I'm, whenever I'm in, especially at the grocery store, I'm almost always in bare feet. And ironically, the only, the, the places that I've never been bothered, never one's ever stopped me or asked me anything other than saying, hey, that's great. Or isn't, is, I hear that's good for you or something like that. I've never gotten any negative comments at King Supers. The some people would, it's part of the Kroger chain here, Whole Foods, they bug me every time. My line is Whole Foods, they don't want you barefoot, but it's okay if you're breastfeeding your dog. So, uh, <laughs> but it's like, you know, go grocery shopping with me and walk around barefoot because A, you'll see that no one cares that yeah. if someone looks at you really weird, that's probably a good thing. The frozen food section on a hot summer day is the best. <laughs> the produce section when the mister goes off, awesome. It's like the adult version of running through a sprinkler. And then, you know, so you get to feel really interesting things and do it in a way that, you know, you would normally be embarrassed by, but if you're doing it with somebody else, then, you know, there's a little permission and it it also just kind of opens up a sense of possibility of what you can do. I like when people say, well, you know, you can't be barefoot in here. I go, really? How come? They go, well, it's a health code violation. They go, no, there's actually no health code that says you can't be barefoot in a store like this. I mean, as an employee, you can't, but as a customer, you, you can totally do that. Oh, well, um, it's an insurance thing. No, no, no insurance thing. Oh, well, it's against the law. No, not against the law. Here's a letter from the Secretary of State saying totally legal in all 50 states. I I like kind of blowing people's mind and giving them that. that, that They get giddy, which is terribly entertaining. What a great world that would be if we could just all walk, right? You walk into King's Supers one day and everybody's like, well, Courtney, 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 that, well, I was going to say that is the world. We can do it now with everybody doing yeah. it. That's not going to happen. I actually, you know what? I had my second very serious barefoot injury a week, uh, eight days ago. And it was actually a, the exact same time. Uh, my first serious barefoot injury. I stubbed my toe. That was it. <laughs> yeah. that's it. That's 12 years. That's the only thing. I just wasn't paying attention, you know, hit a rock. No big deal. Yeah. Band-Aid, couple of days. Yeah, right. <laughs> now you might live off of that one. Happens. Happens sometimes. People get all freaked out. It's like, and, and that's the other one I like too. It's like, you know, I got this little injury. I stepped on something. I stubbed my toe. It's like, I would take that any day over all the problems that I had when I was wearing big, thick padded oh, yeah. shoes. It's like, whatever. Shit happens. I'm always looking at too, like the calluses that are on people's feet. All right. Yeah. And window to their mechanics right and then they want to go and like get these things shaved off i'm like listen can you just leave it can you not can you just leave it there so say more there's a reason that's there yeah wait i want you to say more about that because that's one of the big misconceptions people have is that when you go barefoot you're supposed to not only will you but you're supposed to have big you know some big callus pad and i want to hear how you respond to that well i mean you know, when I look at someone's foot and I see these callus patterns, right? Everybody's foot's going to look different. And just because there's this callus pattern on the bottom of the foot doesn't mean there's anything wrong there. You know, I mean, that's how your body is responding to force. Yep. So yes, it can be a window to an alteration in the mechanics, but if those calluses are there, then they're there for a reason. And you don't want to be messing around with changing what your body is doing to adapt to stress. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't like in the summer, you know, 
I see patients, like some of my patients, they've been walking around barefoot more and I got, you know, they got their calluses and I'm like, you do me a favor. Don't go get a pedicure right now. Cause this is looking pretty. Right. Like, and I like that. <laughs> I would say, I would say that, I mean, it's, it's sort of like when people look at um, the wear pattern on a shoe, it's giving you some information. Uh, I always remind people it's totally optional. If you talk to any really accomplished barefoot runner, I've never met one who has calluses. And because we're just not applying force in that way. So if you're applying force in that way, it's going to tell you something. This is like Lena's line. She says, you know, our shoes are training devices. They're going to tell you what yeah. you are doing. And if you pay attention, it will change what you're doing. Like if somebody says to me, what are the ones that I get? Oh, I, ha- I had this the other day. Someone, someone said um, they had gotten a pair of our shoes. They took the insole out. They felt like it was a little difficult for them. Uh, they had some sort of pain. I can't remember what it was. And I said, uh, in both feet or one foot? She goes, oh, just one. I said, oh, that's my favorite thing. I love it when you get injured on one side. Yeah. She's like, what? I said, oh, because that's telling you that the other side is doing it right. So pay attention to the good side. Yeah. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, and I think it's such a good indicator, right, of improving function. Yeah. So you have these callus patterns, right? And then you continue to do what we're doing, strengthen the foot, strengthen the hip mechanics, right? And then the callus patterns change. Or like in our office, we do footprints. Like, we'll have them walk across this, like, old school ink pad, right? They walk across it the first time, you see all these, like, increased marks on the pad, right? And then as they start working, like, that stuff changes. Mm-hmm. right and then i'm like go home you're gonna hang this print on your refrigerator and you're gonna look at it right and then three months <laughs> later you're gonna hang this one up there right so you can see the improve in function right yeah. and nothing gets me more excited about that i had a little kid i was treating with uh down syndrome and he was three years old and they were concerned that his feet were pronating right okay bigger, so they put this little kid in a in an AFO that had a it was a brace on the back right and then it was it stopped at his midfoot. Oh jeez. So they got this little kid right sensory issues to begin with. Now they're pitching him forward in this AFO and his mom's like he just doesn't look comfortable when he's walking. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Glad so, you noticed. So we printed up his foot and we got him out of the brace and we started doing all this little sensory work with him and like you know. Six months later, we printed him again, and you could start to see his foot start to splay a little bit. And I swear, it like hits me home every time because right. it changes is possible. And if you just allow and give the system what it needs, you'll see it. It's the, the biggest regret that I have is that I didn't take a photo of what my footprint looked like stepping out of a pool or a hot tub before I started this 12, 13 years yeah. ago because it looked like an oval with, you know, little dots. And, uh, and then some, not even very long, maybe six months later, I got out of the hot tub and it's like, what the hell? That's, that's a footprint, which I'd never had my entire yeah. life. And we have stories yeah. of that all the time. Um, and unfortunately, no one, I haven't met anyone yet who has had the wherewithal to take a photo of that first. And then six months or a year later to see what, or however many yeah. months later, cause it's different for everybody. But, but that would be, but I love that you're tracking that. What I, what I love what I hear that you're doing that I just absolutely adore is just, it's so much about giving people the feedback to let the body do what's natural once they have that information. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, it is. It's, it's getting, the education component is huge, right? Yeah. And then we get the feedback from the patients and it's, it's why I do what I do. Lena's line is, you know, the, the footwear industry is a few hundred billion dollars a year 
which means there's no reason to start another shoe company unless what you do changes people's lives. And if it weren't for the thousands of emails and phone calls and reviews and testimonials that we get constantly, you know, this is a really tough road to hoe. There's no reason to do this if same thing. So, I mean, it's, we're, we're ridiculously grateful. But anyway, speaking of grateful, I'm so, so grateful we got to have this conversation. It's long overdue. Yeah, me too. Especially because you're my damn neighbor, practically. But this is like, you know, they're, the outdoor retailer trade show. It's one of my favorite things because there's all these people that I would see at the trade show who live within a stone's throw of me that I never see except at a yeah. trade show, um, which is very entertaining. But now that's not happening, so I never see them at all. If human beings want to find out more about what you're up to and in any way participate with what you're doing, how would they do that? Our probably biggest way to reach us is through Instagram. So at gate happens. Um, happens. Yep. In the same way that people spell barefoot B E A R sometimes, I don't want them to go to G A T E happens. Because I don't know what have you looked Wait, have you looked to see what's at at G A T E happens? No, I have not. (laughs) But I might as soon as we hang up the phone. Yeah, yeah. You gotta find that out. That'd be great. So, uh, so go to gate happens on Instagram, anything else, any other way? Uh, I mean, if not, that's cool. I just want people to be able to find you. Yeah. I mean, if anybody has any questions, gate happens at Gmail is also our, uh, my email address. And, you know, we have a, you know, I, we just put together a foot health 101 course that is very like intro to people learning about all of this stuff. And there's exercises on there and awesome, you know, just some, a basic entry level to like get your feet wet with some of this and it's been helping a lot of people. So we're oh, very that's great. Well, I would encourage them to check it out. So first of all, Courtney, thank you again. I hope people do reach out. I can't wait to hear what happens next. Well, um, once human beings are seeing each other, we'll have to go up your street, down my street and meet somewhere in the middle and For do sure. something. And anyway, let me do the quick sign off and uh, then we'll chat some more off camera just for the fun of it. So first of all, for everybody else, thank you so much for being here. Obviously, if you have any questions for either of us, drop them in the appropriate place, uh, gatehappens at gmail.com or move at jointhemovementmovement.com. For me, again, go to www.jointhemovementmovement to find out uh, the previous episodes, find out what's going on, be part of the family of helping people discover and rediscover that natural movement is the obvious better healthy choice, just like natural food is. And again, like and share and give us a thumbs up and leave reviews and all those things that you know are helpful just because if you want to be part of the tribe, like I say, please do subscribe. Most importantly, go out, have fun, live life feet first. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashin. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.